Hold on, wait just there. Just just before we start the podcast, I have to let you know about a free event we're running full of SMH and behaviour strategies that you can use to support the kids that you work with. It'll run on Tuesday, the 7th of May, 2024 at 7pm London time. We're going to take a real-world behaviour issue submitted by a member of our community, pull it apart and offer solutions and strategies. And this month, we're focusing on strategies for managing a low-level behaviour in class. Our aim is for you to walk away with lots of actionable ideas and strategies that you can use straight away in your school. And did I mention it's completely free? Everyone's favourite price. We're limited to 300 spaces though, so grab yours today before they're all gone. I've put a direct link to the registration page in the episode description. So all you have to do is tap on this episode in your podcast app and you'll see a link to the webinar. Just follow that link and enter your details. I can't wait to see you there. So let's imagine our hill and our journey so far. So we started at ground level, we walked up the hill and that kind of represented the increase in stress chemicals in our body. At the top of the hill, we had our fight or flight reaction where we either tried to fight the thing that was causing us a perceived threat or ran away from it. We've had the walk down the hill on the opposite side where our body chemistry is coming back under control, but we're still scanning for threats. Welcome to the School Behaviour Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Corrigan. My co-host is Emma Shackleton, and we're obsessed with helping teachers, school leaders, parents, and of course, students when classroom behaviour gets in the way of success. We're going to share the tried and tested secrets to classroom management, behavioural special needs, whole school strategy, and more, all with the aim of helping your students reach their true potential. Plus, we'll be letting you eavesdrop on our conversations with thought leaders from a around the world so you'll get to hear the latest evidence-based strategies before anyone else. This is the School Behaviour Secrets Podcast. Hi there, Simon Currigan here and welcome to another bite-sized essentials episode of School Behaviour Secrets where I share with you key strategies or insights from an earlier episode that can have an impact for the students that you work with in your school or classroom. And in this essentials episode, my co-host Emma and I explain the anger cycle, the biological changes that occur in the body that lead to the fight, flight or freeze responses that are actually so difficult to manage in school. So understanding this and understanding how to adjust your response for each stage can be the key to effective de-escalation. So let's look at the ascent then. So we start off with the trigger. We see the tiger, for example, and our amygdala fires up and we start producing adrenaline and noradrenaline. If you're listening in a different part of the world or in medical circles, you may hear these chemicals called by different names, epinephrine and norepinephrine. But because everyone kind of knows what adrenaline is, we'll stick with that terminology for now. So imagine our hill. In stage one, we're walking up the ascent to that hill. We're walking up the left-hand side of the hill and we're moving upwards. And that kind of represents the fact that we're producing more and more of these stress chemicals, adrenaline and noradrenaline, and they work together to prepare us for this potentially dangerous confrontation. So the job of these stress-released hormones is to kickstart us into action and prepare us for survival mode. We need to be able to look out for threats, and deal with them when they come along. 
This will lead to an increase in heart rate, increased breathing rates. Also, as a result of this reaction, the liver dumps sugar into our bloodstream. Sugar is needed for energy to power our muscles. And blood is redirected around our bodies to the areas where it's needed most, usually arms and legs, hands and feet. Our brain also changes as a result of these hormone changes. So our brain will become very focused on what's happening now. We will stop thinking about what's going to happen later in the day or tomorrow or the day after. In a life or death situation, you need 100% of your attention focused on the threat in front of you. Some people describe this as the red mist, where we're watching very, very carefully prepared for any kind of attack. You'll see this on the playground sometimes. Two kids have a fight and you have to split them up. You'll see them watching each other intently to see what's going to happen next. And they can't focus on anything else. And the third impact, which is important, is that it affects our ability to lay down long-term memories. Because in a fight-or-flight situation, in a survival situation, laying down long-term memories isn't a priority. We're focused on survival in the moment. So at this stage, our aim is to remove pressure and further stress from the student. If we've been vigilant and noticed physical changes as a result of these neurobiological changes, For example, we might notice a pupil's face has become flushed or we can see tension in their muscles or we might notice that they make changes in their eye contact. We might just be able to get in there quickly with a de-escalation strategy such as distraction, for example, or moving the threat away and out of sight. Assuming that those strategies don't work and we continue to feel more pressured, eventually we'll walk to the very top of the hill. And this is where we can't cope with any more pressure and our bodies launch us into one of four survival behaviours. So the first of those four states is fight. This is our anger response. Our body is fired up and we become ready to fight fight to the death. The second is flight. That's where we run away as quickly as possible from the thing that we're perceiving as a threat. The third state is freeze. This is where we become very still, very quiet. This is an evolutionary response that animals have developed. It's a way of not getting noticed and hoping that the threat will pass us by, hoping that if we stay still enough, the tiger will walk on past us. You see it sometimes in children when they shut down. So they're standing in front of you. They might be wide-eyed. They're not responding, they're not talking, they're not moving, they're not engaging, and they've gone into freeze mode. And the fourth, which is related to freeze, is playing dead. And you'll see animals do this, they'll lie down, or you might see someone who's being attacked. They might lie on the floor and actually pretend to be unconscious or dead in the hope that the attacker will then move away. So the de-escalation focus at this stage is keeping the child physically safe and well away from the threat. At the peak of this hill, at the top of this hill, the crisis point, if you like, it's all about simple safety messages and not further overloading the child with too much talk or too much stimulation. It's all about keeping them safe. So to bring it back to our caveman, our caveman has, imagine, ran away from the saber-toothed tiger or in school, the child has run away from the thing that's causing them to feel unsafe and threatened. Stage three is the descent. So we've gone across the top of the hill and now we start to walk down the other side of the hill. This is where our bodies 
recognize that the immediate threat has gone. Now, on the way down the hill, and I promise this show isn't sponsored by the Grand Old Duke of York, we stay very alert to threats. Even though outwardly we may look more calm, our bodies still have tons of adrenaline and noradrenaline. What's happening is our bodies are draining those quantities down, so we are starting to feel more calm and relaxed. However, we are poised and scanning for that threat to reappear. So any threat that is spotted or a perceived threat, remember, and we shoot straight back up into fight or flight mode. So this is actually a really dangerous time when we're trying to help children de-escalate their behaviours. We might feel like they've come past the crisis point. They might look like they're calming down. I've actually had children who've said to me, I'm okay now, miss. And I've thought, great, they're calm. Actually, the moment that you mention the thing that went wrong or the moment that they perceive there to be another threat, maybe they think you're going to tell them off or there's going to be a consequence issued, then boom, they're straight back up into that peak. So this is a really tricky, dangerous time. They remain in that hypervigilant state. They're continually scanning for threats. It might be the existing threat, like the tiger coming back, or it might be a new threat now. So classic example, maybe you have two kids who have been fighting out on the playground. The adults come in and move those kids apart. The kids' breathing slows down. They start to look a little more calm. So what do the adults do to resolve the situation? They bring the kids back together. And because those kids are still on the inside, still scanning for threats, you bring them together with the thing that caused the outburst in the first place. You're bringing them back together with that perceived threat. And boom, you get another incident or an emotional outburst from one of the kids. So at this stage, the adult response has got to be all about focusing on calming the child and keeping them away from the threat. So it might be moving the threat away or it might be moving them away from the threat if they're able to. And that will allow the stress hormones to dissipate without any further flare up. So let's imagine our hill and our journey so far. So we started at ground level. We walked up the hill and that kind of represented the increase in stress chemicals in our body. At the top of the hill, we had our fight or flight reaction where we either tried to fight the thing that was causing us a perceived threat or ran away from it. We've had the walk down the hill on the opposite side where our body chemistry is coming back under control, but we're still scanning for threats. Now we've reached ground level on the opposite side. What actually happens is we dip down into a small valley and we need to go down a little way before we can come back up to ground level again. So this stage is sometimes referred to as like a body chemistry crash because the adrenaline and noradrenaline are draining away. The blood sugar levels are stabilizing in our bloodstream. This is a difficult time. Children, when they've experienced this big outburst or crisis point, after that, they can be very overly emotional. They might be overly remorseful. They might be tearful. They might be sleepy. This period is sometimes referred to as a period of depression. So working in pupil referral units, I've seen children who've completely lost control. Maybe they've trashed a classroom, for example. And then afterwards, they've actually laid down on the floor and gone to sleep. It's very, very exhausting to go through this stress response cycle. And that's all we've got time for on this Essentials episode. 
where we've covered the stages of the anger cycle and explained how you can approach de-escalation calmly and effectively. If you want to know more about how you can get children emotionally and physiologically back on track following a crash, just head back to episode 21. And if you've enjoyed listening today, please remember to rate and review us. It takes just 30 seconds, and when you do, it prompts the algorithm to recommend school behaviour secrets to other listeners, and that helps us grow the podcast and reach other teachers, school leaders, and parents. And while you've got your podcast app open, please remember to hit subscribe so you never miss another episode. Thanks for listening today, and I look forward to seeing you next time on School Behaviour Secrets. Oh, 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 oh,